You know, this is a different Palm Sunday, isn't it? And the beginning of a very unusual Holy Week. And yet, the gospel that we proclaim is still the same and so very pertinent for us to hear again today. Uh, you know, I enjoyed having the children uh, with the palm branches from their homes, that uh, part of the video that we saw, because, you know, I can't remember a Palm Sunday that we didn't have the children parading into our worship service and, and uh, the children so proud as they wave their palm branches in an, an occasional, uh, hi, Mom, hi, Dad, or hi, Grandma, hi, Grandpa. Uh, we could hear from the children, and then you'd see an adult, you know, with uh, so proud and and beaming at their child or grandchild uh, coming into this worship service. And I know that we have those children at home right now uh, in our families who are waving those palm branches. And can't you just see them in your mind's eye uh, from this very diverse congregation from people all over the world right here uh, at Lover's Lane. I do want to also say that... Um, uh, we can imagine next year's Palm Sunday being so grand and glorious. Uh, we've missed having everyone present in worship in this room, and next year will certainly be a blessing. You know, today we're going to continue the sermon series that we um, have entitled Soul Reset. Uh, Junius Dotson wrote this book, Soul Reset, and uh, we've enjoyed it so much, and I think it's been so very uh, relevant uh, this particular Lenten season. And today we're going to be dealing with the word, as uh, Jennifer set up with the children's message, the word confess. Confess. Confession is so very important to the Christian life. Today we're going to address also what confession means um, in, in view of the light of God. And the light of God, a God who is non-condemning, gracious, forgiving, and unconditionally loving of all of us. Who would not want to live in the light of God's unconditional love? And yet we know that some people choose not to live in that light, to live apart from it or to live disregarding the light. Why is that? You know, perhaps it's because they simply haven't been persuaded. They haven't heard the gospel in, 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 in the, the way that really does touch their hearts. And so we have work to do, don't we? Or perhaps they've been convinced that their own self-sufficient approach to life is all that they need. And they're dependent only on themselves for deep-seated joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in life. Or perhaps the shame and guilt of something that happened in the past is still weighing heavy uh, weighing so heavy that, um, that, that it can't be unloaded by themselves. And, and yet, at the same time, knowing that they need help. But where does that help come from? And the good news is that we have that message in our Bible today. We're going to be turning to John, the third chapter, uh, beginning with the 17th verse through the 21st. Uh, we know this very familiar chapter in the Bible. It's Jesus uh, having that conversation at night with Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And we know from this comes that wonderful text as Nicodemus is inquiring about salvation. 
um, Jesus shares what we know as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But today we're going to pick up with the 17th verse of this same chapter, and we're going to read these wonderful words, and I hope let these words sink deep within. I'm going to read this text in sections today, and I have some questions that I'd like to ask each of us as we go through this text. John 3, 17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I want to ask us this question. If God and the Son do not condemn us, then who or what does condemn us? Do we condemn ourselves? Is it our stubbornness not to be vulnerable? Is it our unbelief or non-belief that condemns us? What is it about the non-condemning Jesus, the Lord of grace and forgiveness and unconditional love, that, that, that people don't have the ability to grasp fully or to understand or, or, or feel themselves deserving of? Could it be that our own belief in our self-sufficiency, in other words, I will fix me, I need no help, that belief um, is that which condemns us, that we think that we can take care of our own joy and happiness all by ourselves? Let's continue to read. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You know, if the light is God's non-condemning grace, forgiveness, and unconditional love, why would anyone choose darkness? Why would anyone choose to be away from that kind of light? What is the darkness that condemns us and causes us to do evil, causes us to choose those things that can hurt others and hurt others intentionally? Let's continue. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. Question. Is evil and hate of the light the conscious decision not to be vulnerable? Not to admit our own wrongdoings, our own straying apart from God's will and way. Our, our shortcomings um, that we don't confess. Isn't it condemning to harbor our misdeeds, some of them that produce shame and guilt, and to just carry that load without any help? Is that not condemning? 
hear the good news. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This God who is non-condemning, gracious, forgiving, and full of unconditional love is the God who wants to lighten our load, who who wants to relieve us of all the shame and guilt that we might be harboring, who who wants us to live into the abundant life that Jesus talked about in the 10th chapter of John. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Demas, being a Pharisee, came to Jesus because he saw something in Jesus that he knew he didn't have. Nicodemus, who uh, was a Pharisee, was one who kept the law, uh, kept every dot and tittle of the law, as it said. Every aspect of the law was what Nicodemus followed, and he followed it in such a way as most Pharisees that they kind of lorded it over others. They put themselves on a pedestal. Uh, They saw themselves as holier than thou. And yet Nicodemus knew the reality that the law only condemns us, that we find ourselves straying from uh, the law, and, and no one can fully keep the law. Therefore, the law cannot save us. So Nicodemus had reached that point, and in hearing this rabbi Jesus, and in hearing his teaching, and in observing his relationship with God, which was a personal relationship, Jesus called God the most um, childlike word. Abba. And and Nicodemus wanted to know more about that relationship with God. It's not unlike the Apostle Paul who also uh, was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul who, who also upheld the law. And we know that the living Lord came to him in spirit when he was on the Damascus road. And, and he was converted. And in his great work in Romans, Paul can say, All, not some, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the good news is each of us has known the reality of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And and yet all of us know that in Christ there is that unconditional love and forgiveness and grace that makes us new. Are you finding time to read lately? I'm finding more time to read. I had a friend this week who pointed me in the direction of Dr. Scott Peck, who was himself a theologian and also a psychotherapist and one who wrote books that were truly transformational. Dr. Peck died in 2005. He died 15 years ago, and yet his books are still very pertinent. They're very relevant, Um, and I found in reading through them that they were uh, extremely um, helpful in casting light on this time that we're in right now. Scott Peck wrote the classic book, The Road Less Traveled, that many of us have read. And in 1993, he wrote a book that was the compilation of some of his lectures, and that book was entitled 
further along the road less traveled. And in, in a chapter uh, entitled The Blaming Game, on page 38, written 27 years ago, Scott Peck wrote this statement. People who commit to the most evil in the world see no power greater than themselves. The evil are very strong-willed, they are narcissistic, self-absorbed, and their will is supreme. They are often into inappropriate and destructive blaming. People I call, Peck said, people of the lie. They lie to themselves and to others and insist on being ignorant of their own wrongdoing. Their guiding motive is to feel good about themselves at all time, at all cost, no matter what. Instead of making some type of self-correction, they will instead, at great expense and energy, set about to exterminate the evidence. They will use all the power at their disposal to impose their wills onto someone else in order to protect their own sick selves. And that is where most of their evil is committed, in inappropriate blaming. For them, blaming becomes fun and it becomes habit-forming. You know, Peck used that word uh, 27 years ago, sickness. He's not talking about some uh, virus or, uh, that, like we're facing today in COVID-19, but he is talking about a spiritual sickness uh, that the Bible introduces us to. And that spiritual sickness is that inability, chosen inability, uh, not to uh, confess our wrongdoings not to acknowledge that we fall short of the glory of God. We remember in the very first story in the Bible, we could go all the way back to Genesis 1, and we could read of, of, of Adam and Eve being in that beautiful garden that was provided to them uh, by the God who is unconditionally loving. And, and God said, in this garden you have it all. There's only one thing I ask you not to do, and that is to eat from the, the tree in the center of the garden, the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know what happens next. It's the story of the human condition. Uh, uh, Eve and, and Adam, they, they, they eat that fruit, that forbidden fruit. And when God uh, confronts them, when, when God asks them the question, what happens Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the snake. This aspect of, of not taking ownership of our, our own sin and our own shortcomings is age old. And, and yet we know that we have to become vulnerable. We have to enter that time of confession to truly relieve ourselves of that shame and guilt by God taking it away. Confession is so key to who we are as Christians. 
There's no story about Carlos Villa, a Spanish monk, who had lived much of his life in India. And he tells a story about a bird and a snake. The story is set by uh, Carlos, who is riding his bicycle through the Indian countryside, and, and he stops for a rest, and he finds things very unusual. He finds, instead of the chirping of birds and the normal noises that would come uh, with such a setting, everything was quiet and still, eerily so. And the mystery became clear to him when all of a sudden he looked and he saw a cobra snake weaving back and forth. And, and uh, there he was looking at a bird that was perched on a lower limb. And the bird was frozen in place in the stare of the snake, uh, hypnotized in essence as the snake was moving in for the prey. Carlos thought, what can I do? So he began to run at the snake. He picked up a stick and he began to wave the stick. And sure enough, his, his strategy was successful. And the snake turned his attention not to uh, the bird but to Carlos. And Carlos ran away as the bird flew away, free. I want to ask us a question this morning. Is there anything that has you spiritually frozen as if staring into the eyes of the snake? Some here know the experience of being caught up in the grasp of addiction that has you frozen and not able to break the stare. Some of us who are hearing this this morning have done something in their past that is like that stare of the snake. That past has you frozen. You can't move forward into the abundant life that Christ has for you because you're so frozen in the, in the past in something that happened that you just can't remove from your life. I've talked to people who beat themselves up with an unhealthy self-esteem. They can't see themselves as a child of God. They can't see themselves worthy. They, they still see their, their worthiness based on who they are and not on who, they, who Christ would cause them to, to know themselves to be as a child of God. Have you asked yourself lately how people who are so successful can take their own lives. It's tragic when this happens. But we know that sometimes the stare of the snake is so devastating that we can choose death over life. Shame and guilt can be destructive. It is darkness. Blame is darkness too. Not being able to see ourselves in, in, in our need for God's unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness is a mistake. You know, the way to the light is vulnerability. And, and the way to the light is the vulnerability of confession to a God who is always, always ready to forgive. And hear this good news that we have from 1 John, the first chapter, the ninth verse. 
if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Did you get that? Our non-condemning God of grace and forgiveness in God's unconditional love is offering to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get this. God is willing to cleanse us from all unrighteousness over and over and over and over and over again. You know, this ending journey of Lent that we call Holy Week, we call it not only uh, Palm Sunday, but, but we call it Passion Palm Sunday because this journey will eventually take us to a cross, the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and though that day was a, a dark day of crucifixion, The cross stands not in darkness, but the cross stands as the light, as the the supreme symbol of God's unconditional love. The cross of Good Friday of this very week that we call holy is the cross not just of crucifixion, but of atonement and of redemption. It's the symbol of our being cleansed from all unrighteousness over and over and over and over and over again because the cross stands as the symbol of God's grace and forgiveness and unconditional love. Our God is non-condemning. The cross says God is saving, saving all of us. Desiring to take away our shame and guilt. Desiring to take away um, our frail egos. Desiring to, to, uh, to put us right in the presence of God's grace and forgiveness and unconditional love. I'd like to show a picture at this time. It's a picture of an eagle that stands as the cross. And this eagle has conquered the snake. And this eagle, no doubt, could fly away with that snake, taking that snake far, far away. What a powerful parallel to the cross. That the cross is like that eagle that not only breaks the stare of the snake, but takes that snake far, far away from us. Isn't that good news? And it's even better news. This week will continue to unfold until we get to that day, that third day. You know what happened on the third day. And I'm not going to go there this Sunday, but we know that Easter is coming. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. 
We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We've broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray, O Lord. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, God of all goodness and grace. Grant us your freedom to live in the light of your non-condemning, unconditional love. Set us free from sin and shame and guilt as we make ourselves vulnerable and we confess to you our need for you. And Lord, help us walk in the light of Jesus who shows us how to live abundantly. Reset our souls, O Lord. Restore us to begin to live in a new way willing to be vulnerable and brave enough to be your authentic self. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray the way Jesus taught us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.